0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW group void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Unlocking Vulnerability, a podcast produced by Helen Pettifer, helping you better understand consumer vulnerability. Hello, I'm Helen Pettifer, and welcome to Unlocking Vulnerability. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome my special guest, Sally Pierce. Sally has worked in the insurance industry for over 40 years, first as an underwriter, often managing frontline customer service teams. In 2000, she joined the newly formed Financial Ombudsman Service, providing direction and technical guidance for new work streams as its jurisdiction broadened and its workforce grew. Sally left the FOS in 2006 and set up and managed a number of regulatory complaint teams. For a time, she worked with Lloyds of London, helping to set up their standards review framework and self-assessment process. In 2014, Sally set up her own business, Conduct Matters Limited. She has worked with a number of firms, including Lloyds, managing agents, designing frameworks and developing culture to ensure compliance with FCA and Lloyds conduct risk and customer requirements. This work includes working with boards and reviewing risks, roles, responsibilities and the effectiveness of board and committee structures. Sally also creates and delivers conduct risk training, including board training and e-learning. Wow, there's a lot of information there, Sally. You've obviously been a very busy person. It's wonderful to have you as a guest on my podcast.
0: It's great to be here, Helen. It's really nice. Always nice to talk to you about the issue of vulnerability and conduct issues in our market. So, yeah, great. Great to see you. Wonderful, thank you. So, do you want to start by giving a
1: brief introduction to yourself? Well, you said quite a lot of it, haven't you, Helen? <laughs> I have, really.
0: <laughs> I suppose that the, the thing I would like to say is that 20 years of underwriting, I absolutely loved it. But my move to work for the Financial Ombudsman working in dispute resolution was a real game-changer for me. And I've loved it ever since then. It's been all about helping the customer, improving the customer experience. And my position on that is I work with clients in creating frameworks and designing products and helping them understand how their products can can work for customers, seeing it from the perspective of the customer. And I've loved every minute of it.
1: That's fantastic. It's brilliant. And it is all about the customer, isn't it, at the end of the day? So um, as we both know, the Financial Conduct Authority has been doing a lot of work on vulnerability. In, in recent years, and obviously last week, it updated the um, proposed set of proposals of treating vulnerable customers fairly. A Hot topic at the moment. So, what are your thoughts on the guidance and what's
0: it going to mean for firms moving forward? Well, I love the guidance. I'll say that. I'll come out. I'm not going to sit on the fence with this one. I think it's great. Um, for most of my clients, I would say they've historically found this quite a, a struggle. And the reason is because the FCA, as we know, is primarily principles based so it tells you what it wants you to do but it doesn't give you very much guidance about how you have to do it and um, the firms that I work with insurance firms they like a bit of guidance they like to be directed in certain ways generally as I say all my clients all the people I work with in the market want to do the right thing they're really keen to do it they want good cultures they want to treat their customers fairly they just like more guidance they just like more structure to what they're told to do I think it's going to be great for them. I think it's going to also come as a shock for many businesses, many firms in the insurance industry and maybe other industries within financial services who don't realise they have vulnerable customers. They probably thought for years, oh, we don't sell to this vulnerable group. We just sell to the general public. And I think we're seeing from this paper from the FCA that that's no longer an issue. Everyone who sells to consumers, even if they're wholesale and they're they're using other service providers, need to understand and manage vulnerability.
1: Yeah, absolutely key, isn't it? And of course, the FCA mentioned the four drivers Mm. of of vulnerability, health capability, life events and resilience. So that ultimately affects everybody, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. It's, It's a very fluid state vulnerability these four events can happen to most of us at any time and sometimes without warning as we're seeing in the current pandemic it's not unusual we're seeing people who weren't wouldn't previously have been considered vulnerable becoming vulnerable. Yeah absolutely key so
1: why do you think that the FCA is now putting such a priority and importance on vulnerability why is it top topic at the moment?
0: Well, I think there's two reasons for this. I think, firstly, firms haven't been doing it well enough. And that I, I thought that was very clear in the FCA report. They said it's not just responses to vulnerability questions, but when they go out and do any kind of market work and they come back and they look at what they're finding, they're picking up elements of vulnerability that just aren't being addressed by firms. So firms just aren't doing it well enough. So we have to be blunt. We have to accept that. The other reason I think is because so many of us can be vulnerable. You know, you just talked about the four drivers, Helen. Well, the SCA report says that 40%, sorry, not 40, 46% of the UK adult population show at least one of these indicators of vulnerability. And that was before COVID 19. So we know it's going to be higher. Think about that. That's half, at least I would say now, at least half of the people that you talk to as consumers are going to be vulnerable in some form. It's a growing area. We have an ageing population as well. We know the extent of vulnerability is growing and the FCA is very concerned about that and has been for some years. I was
1: quite surprised at the 46% because it's Mm. gone down slightly from the 2017 financial life survey, hadn't it, where they said fifty percent. Mm. But obviously that was pre COVID, so I think possibly now, yes, significantly higher than than the forty six percent, isn't it? And of course then they're gonna be having vulnerability across all the drivers. Well
0: absolutely. I mean the individual figures they gave totted up to about it was more than a hundred, wasn't it? It was kind of you've definitely got numbers of people within there who have two or three of those drivers and you're going to, aren't
1: you? Yeah exactly and of course you, you know you you get one life event and sometimes you think actually these all come in threes don't they one thing happens and then of course another thing happens and, and then of course one thing happens and then it leads into further vulnerability as well because it's pushing you into you know if you lose your job it could then push you into financial challenges could give you relationship difficulties you know it can really impact all of the different situations and, and circumstances just by one life event it can well, really absolutely. impact
0: yeah, and the, and the FCA has made the point as well that sometimes the behaviour of the firm can trigger a vulnerability, so the way an insurance firm deals with a with a claim might trigger some vulnerability. You know, in my t- time when I was at Falls, we used to see quite a few tricky situations where you have a small business that makes an insurance claim, and because the claim isn't dealt with promptly, the business goes bust, and we are seeing a lot of that at the moment with the issue on the BI claims, where businesses food businesses have had to close because of COVID-19 and maybe they've got some support from the government but for lots of them I think they're going to come out of this maybe without a business
1: that's scary isn't it and then Mm. that's their livelihood isn't it that's their financial their their household finances as well isn't it and the whole detrimental effect
0: on that well, it has a big impact when a business goes bust, doesn't it? It's not just the owners of the business who've probably taken on lots of debt to finance the business, um, confidently thinking they were doing well, you know, not seeing this round the corner. Then you've got all the employees and then you've got the local community that relies on that business. And it's a huge knock-on effect. and This is going to affect a lot of people's exposure to vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. We know that businesses like to label and
1: segment customers, so especially for sales and marketing purposes, we put them mm-hmm. into little, little categories, don't we? Should this be the way forward with vulnerable customers too?
0: Well, it, yeah, I mean, the FCA didn't like this, did they? I mean, that was, again, another clear message from the report. What they've seen firms doing is labeling people as either being potentially vulnerable, vulnerable or not vulnerable. Effectively it's an on-off switch and I see this with a lot of I'd say clients but when they become clients this doesn't happen I can assure you. <laughs> I see this with a lot of firms who tell me oh we have a vulnerability indicator and you say well what is that indicator and it's an on-off switch. It's, a, it's an indicator, it's just a tick box. And what's that telling you about the customer? And this is exactly what the FCO said. They're not happy about firms just using this on-off indicator. Partly because it doesn't tell you very much, it just tells you there's something. Also because, as we've already discussed, the fluid nature of vulnerability. I I lost my parents last year and I had to deal with their estate. And at that point in my dealings with the banks, I moved up that spectrum of vulnerability. I would say I probably ticked their box of vulnerability for a short while. The FCA is very concerned about that, that firms have been doing this and really using it as a way... I would suggest to say, oh, we don't have exposure, you know, because if you've got a tick box on your system, you only know someone's vulnerable if they've told you they're vulnerable, you've identified they're vulnerable. The default is not vulnerable. So it's just not been good enough. So the FCA is clearly not happy with this. So we have to think about this differently. Firms have to think about how they're going to identify people who need help or need something a bit different from the standard, firms tend to create very standard generic processes. And again, the FCA has told us many times, there has to be flexibility within these processes to deal with individual customer needs. And frontline staff have to be authorised and empowered to make those changes. So we have to rethink how we're labelling people, I'm not suggesting we take the indicator away completely. Uh, I'm suggesting, which I think is, is where the FCA is going with this, is that we have to identify people's needs and we have to be better at identifying people's needs, and we have to understand: you know, do they need a certain way of communicating? Do they need documents written in certain languages? For example, capability is a good example. Someone who has an issue with capability maybe doesn't have an education. That means they can always understand their policy wordings. So one way of getting around that might be to have a system where you explain the policy cover in a different way maybe you give them an faq or you give them an audio system or some other different way of understanding the policy but you have to identify these people so just having someone as vulnerable won't tell you what they need you need to know what they actually need i think one of the really good examples in the fca report that i really liked was the one about the bank where if somebody elderly takes out a bank account or has a bank account, the bank goes to them and says, is there a second contact point? So that if you go into hospital, if you become ill, we can talk to someone and we know that's someone that you've authorised and, and they can deal with you, that for you. Now, I thought that was a brilliant idea and I'd love to see insurers do that. They get the date of birth, normally for security purposes when they're setting up the policies. So why not say to people, is there a second contact point? It's a very simple question and I think that would make life a lot easier for a lot of people.
1: Yeah I saw that case study and thought that was really really powerful mm. and in some respects it could be very simple and, and cost, cost effective to just implement that. It doesn't need six months of a board meeting and planning and everything to, to actually integrate
0: that into the process. It, it's just asking a question isn't it? I yeah. suppose the most the most complex area of it is going to be in in terms of protecting the vulnerable from making sure that the authority is going to the right person. So I would say that they would probably have to be quite limited in how the authority worked. It wouldn't be like a power of attorney, would it? So I think they would that there'd have to be some rules around it and how you record it is crucial because the other issue that did get raised in the report is the issue of data security as well so you know if you record someone as vulnerable or you make a record that they've got an illness or whatever it is you want to record about them that sits in your data that becomes I would say sensitive data I think they have to be really careful about what's recorded
1: and I think as well the guidance said about um, even just the term vulnerable and actually that's what us as as businesses Hmm. use to label customers that that may need additional or different
0: support but actually that's not how the customers label themselves it's a good one isn't it because the fca suggested it shouldn't be used externally anymore didn't they they talk about it being an internal term and not used externally or not are so you shouldn't say to a customer are you vulnerable or i'll make a note you're vulnerable just a simple i'll make a note of your needs Are you happy for me to record on the system that you would like us to do XX and X? Person says yes or no. That's the simple way of doing it. So, yeah, there will need to be some work on how this information is recorded and what's done with it and how it's shared. Because, of course, another customer frustration you see is when they speak to one person and then they speak to someone in a different team and they didn't see that information. So you have to go through it all again, repeat the whole situation there is definitely an issue there for how this information is recorded in a, an efficient, yes. safe
1: way and of course you get that with with different departments as well isn't it that, mm. that maybe a customer's rung up they've told the, the contact center staff that there's a change of change of situation or maybe somebody's passed away and then it doesn't get to another department and then a letter goes out and it, it hasn't taken any notice of what those changes were maybe they've sent out a letter to, to addressed to the person who has passed away and you see that so often don't you?
0: I was going to say that's a story you you see that quite a lot don't you when someone sends a letter to a deceased person and and that's really upsetting firms need to be better at sharing this information internally
1: yeah absolutely so obviously the, the entire document is 109 pages <laughs> it was hard going I had to do it in three sittings <laughs> but I think it was really valuable and I agree with you that actually it is, it is a really clear concise document now. So what do you think firms should do now now that they've got this information?
0: Well number one read it, definitely read it uh, and then read it again and maybe read it again. So the FCA has a consultation out so do respond to the consultation if you've got concerns. If you've got concerns tell them because I don't know if anyone's ever looked at previous consultation papers at the FCA issues, but they always respond to what people say when they challenge these papers. So it's a really good thing to do. You will get an answer in the final paper. They like to know what people are saying about it. So definitely do that. I would say the most important thing to realise with this, though, that this is a principles-based regulatory regime. You should already be doing this. This is just guidance. So I would look at this from the perspective of, How can we do this now? What do we need to think about changing now? Don't wait for the FCA to say what exactly the guidance is going to be because guidance is coming. It will look very, very similar to what's come out now. I don't expect there'll be many changes to it, but you're going to have to move really quickly on it. So I'd get to it quickly. Um, Get out there, do your impact assessment, look at what you need to do to to improve Uh, look at some of the examples there's some really really good examples we talked about the bank one I like the training ones as well so for example the dementia training where people go on dementia awareness courses and it just it's a culture thing as well if you've got people in the workplace who've done that kind of training they have a better understanding of what's going on in the world around them they can better speak to people they can better understand people frontline training is really key but it doesn't have to be just the formal training it can be about the broader issues as well so that's really important obviously from my point of view I do lots of work with clients on designing products and designing services so I'm expecting um, lots of calls for help on whether they need to look at their design processes again to, to make sure that they are identifying the needs of the customers Again, in my experience, lots of firms don't reach out to their customers as often as they should to get the identification. Whether it's a focus, I mean I love focus groups. I think they're a really good way of getting a group of people in a room and saying, What can help you with our product? You know, how can our product work for you? What kind of service do you want? And I guarantee you, if you get a group of anyone in a room and ask them if they like telephone lines, which has press one for this and two for that and three for that, that 90% of them will tell you no. But still have the focus group.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And it was interesting that you said about the word culture because I think that was one of the key words that was sort of almost part of the vein of the whole document and the whole guidance is actually it's just embedding Mm -hmm. that culture, isn't it? And then what they're wanting is that this isn't going to be a tick box exercise. It's not just, okay, read the paper, put it in place, do what it says, tick the box and then forget about it. What they're wanting is it's just uh, embedding it into the culture that it just becomes second nature, that actually people just don't think about it. it, just happens.
0: I agree completely. It's about making these things second nature. And I think one of the things that you and I talk about a lot is active listening skills, don't we? I know that's part of your training. And it's one of the things that I first learned when I qualified as a mediator. It's active listening is so important. And once you learn active listening, it's a bit addictive, actually, because it's such a powerful thing to do. And it's so great for the customer. You sit there and you listen and they talk to you. It's that kind of thing, it's those kind of skills that you want frontline, but it's also an understanding from the top, from the senior managers, from the directors, from your board members. To understand the value of treating these vulnerable customers so well, treating all customers well, but to understand the value of understanding vulnerability, it's not just about what the regulator tells us to do. We know at least half of the population has a vulnerability element It's on that spectrum of risk but well, we're all on the spectrum of risk but at least half of them are pushing towards the riskier end of it it makes commercial sense if you don't give your vulnerable customers the service they need and you don't sell them a product they understand it creates more work they end up buying products they don't understand that don't satisfy their needs they end up hassling you you get phone calls you get letters you get complaints. Just get it right first time.
1: It will just affect the bottom line as well. And businesses will grow the whole reputation. There are so many more benefits. Mm. So, I mean, that brought all my questions to a close really for today. But I mean, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share?
0: I believe in this sphere of work and I believe for all the work that I do that it's about people wanting to work in an industry where the right thing is done. It's about wanting to work somewhere where there is kindness around you, where you treat other people how you want to be treated and you are therefore treated like that. I think this is a huge part of it. We all need to be a bit kinder. We all need to think about what other people want, what other people need. Wouldn't the world be a wonderful place?
1: That's wonderful. Yeah, perfect, Sally. And that that fits in nicely with one of my emails that I sent out today is actually we have the opportunity to just mm. make a difference, help people and make a difference in their lives. So yeah, Absolutely. kindness goes a long way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Why wouldn't we want to? Exactly. Yes. Well,
1: thank you so much. That's some fantastic points that you've shared there today. So thank you so much for being my
0: guest today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Helen. As ever, I've loved our chat. Brilliant.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to read the 109 page (laughs) Financial Conduct Authority's guidance on treating vulnerable customers fairly, you can find it on their website. And I will put a link into the episode details as well. Please do get in touch with either Sally or myself if you want to have a a proper conversation about how you can put this into practice within your organization. And you can email me at info at helenpetifer.com and Sally's details are in the episode description. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unlocking Vulnerability. Please take care of yourself, stay safe and well. And remember to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Twitter at HPetifaTrain. And I look forward to you joining me on my next
0: episode. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.